At this time, I'll encourage you to take your Bibles with me, and uh, the scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51, I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have cru crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 7 going to deal with a familiar story or familiar event in the life of Jesus. And it's a passage that we have dealt with before, but with today being Communion Sunday, I thought it was probably good for us to take a look at that again. We're in Luke chapter 7, and as soon as I find it, we are going to start looking there at verse 36. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Luke writes, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." Jesus answered him, notice the guy didn't talk, but Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So Jesus says, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman 
and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet her feet, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the moment I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's say you're going to go on a cruise. It's the pampered side of life. You get up in the morning, you get dressed, you go for breakfast. It's there. It's all ready for you. And the choices are numerous. Hot, cold, fruit, cereal, pancakes, waffles, eggs, omelet, eggs benedict, bacon, sausage, ham, ice cream, you name it, you got it. Then you go swimming, or you go exploring, or you play games, or you have some activities, or you go on a, an excursion, or an adventure, or you just sit in the sun. You go back to your cabin, and the beds are made, it's all tidied up, the bathroom's clean, there are fresh towels there. Then you have to eat again, and there's lunch. Oh, before that, you went for a coffee break. So, and after lunch, there's more fun, more snacks, endless ice cream, and endless pizza. Now you dress up for dinner. Your waiters are there to serve and entertain you. They know your names. They know your likes and dislikes. Warm chocolate melting cake. <laughs> there's more entertainment to follow. And finally, you head for bed, and you get back to your cabin. The beds are turned down. There are chocolates on your pillow. Ah, the life of Riley, right? And tomorrow it all starts again. But it comes to an end. And they hurry up. Get off the ship, because there's more people coming. We're done with you. And you go back to real life. Somebody has to cook the meals do the dishes, clean the bathrooms, go to work, get the children ready for school, fix the roof, do the errands, do the laundry, make the beds, take out the garbage, mow the grass, shovel the snow, pay for the car repairs, and wash the floors because that's real life. And we like the privileges, but for most of us, that's not real life. Some people never get to go on a cruise. Others, it's a once-in-a-lifetime event. But it's not real life, and you have to come back to it. Kathy and I just spent, I think we were gone for 10 days. It was at, at Stony Lake Bible Camp, and, and, and all we had, you know, the horn would blow, and, uh, and breakfast would be provided, and, and, and then we could go. Well, Kathy actually went kayaking. We have pictures of that. That was really cool. And, and, you know, you go to chapel, and then the horn blows again, and there's lunch, and nobody has to do dishes, and and, and you're entertained. Kids got entertained. It was absolutely marvelous. But there's real life. And we have to go back to reality. 
And as Christians, we have privileges too. We get pampered. We have this thing called forgiveness. We love that privilege. But every coin has two sides. And the other side of that reality is that we have responsibilities and we're not so keen about those. And the reality is if that you and I are going to accept forgiveness, and this morning when we have communion, we're certainly going to claim forgiveness by faith. If we're going to accept forgiveness, the privilege of being forgiven, of having fellowship with God, there's another side to that coin is, and that says that you and I have to extend the same grace that we have received to other people, to sinners. Let's take a look at this story. Basically, three people in this story. First guy is Simon the Pharisee. The Pharisees, many of you know, was a, the Pharisees were a revivalist movement that started after the Old Testament closed. Between the book of Malachi and Matthew, there were 400 years. And during that time, the Pharisees rose into power. They were a revivalist group, a fundamentalist group that said, we have to get back to the Bible. And they did, and they started out with the best of intentions, but somehow or another, they started veering off the track and wound up in the ditch of legalism. The best of intentions, but the worst of results. So here's Simon the Pharisee. The Pharisees saw themselves as acceptable before God. They were the keepers and protectors of the faith and biblical truth. And you wonder, why would Simon invite Jesus to supper, to dinner? They didn't like Jesus. They didn't trust Jesus. Was it, and I don't know why either, but did he invite Jesus to dinner to show his open-mindedness? Did he invite Jesus maybe to trick him in one way or another? Or was it an opportunity to demonstrate his superior knowledge of Scripture and law and to put Jesus down and to neutralize this threat? I don't know. So here's Simon. And then there's this, woman. And the Bible says that she had lived a sinful life. And it doesn't explain what that means. Now Luke often uses that word to describe someone uh, who has a reputation for gross immorality. And so other people assume that she was a prostitute. And one of the reasons that assumption was made is because her hair was down. Her hair was loose. And that was the advertisement that a woman would have. My hair is down. I'm available. And then there's Jesus. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save which was lost. And if anyone was going to know the meaning of Scripture, it would be the one who was the author and giver of Scripture. So there's the three people. So here they sit down at dinner. Here's the event. Jesus reclined at the table. You remember that painting that, that you've seen sometimes called The Last Supper? Either Michelangelo or Da Vinci painted it. Remember that? There's Jesus sitting in the middle and all the disciples on either side of him. When, in those days, they didn't sit at a table like you and I do. They used something called a triclinium. 
A triclinium was a three-sided table like this so that the servers could walk in and out, three-sided table, and the people reclined on couches. I have no idea why that eating laying down is not one of my favorite activities. But that was the custom at the time, and so the reality is when you came to dinner, your feet were sticking out, and in those days, they did not pave streets. We came back in the Nippuin yesterday, and I was the optimist. I said, it'll stop raining, so I'm wearing shorts and a sleeveless shirts and flip-flops, and, and we get out of the, of the truck. We decided to have lunch at Timmy's and, and get out of the truck, and it splish-splashed through the puddles all the way and, and, and you know, mud and, and everything else, and in those days... Outside was a barnyard. That's the streets. And so when you came in, your feet were not only stinky, and, and they were dirty, and it was probably unappetizing to look at that. So the custom was, someone, you come for lunch, you come for supper, we're going to wash your feet before you sit down. There was supposed to be a kiss on the cheek from the host. It's like a handshake that said, welcome to my house. I am so glad to see you. That didn't happen. And then there was supposed to be a dollop of oil that was poured onto your head. Probably perfume, because I don't think showers were too plentiful in those days either. So, those were the customs of the day. That didn't happen. And then there was the non-guest. When a rabbi was invited to someone's house, others could stop by and listen to the conversation and often needy people were permitted to visit those banquets to receive some of the leftovers. It's like first century dumpster diving. You would go and get some of the leftovers. And so here's this woman. You wonder what she's doing there, but she had a purpose. And when she approached Jesus, she started to weep profusely. Was it because she was in the presence of majesty and greatness and love and acceptance? Somehow she knew that. And when deep spiritual work gets done in our lives, tears are not uncommon. There were a few tears that were shed last weekend. When God is doing something deep within our hearts, there are tears of remorse and repentance. There are tears of joy. There are sobs of, uh, of, of just receiving grace and forgiveness. And so as she's standing at Jesus' feet, she's weeping, she's sobbing, and her tears are dripping on Jesus' feet, and she uses her hair to clean that, and she's kissing his feet because she's in the presence of greatness. And then she poured perfume on his feet, probably her most precious possession. And Simon the Pharisee is watching this performance, and he's thinking, hmm, if this guy were a real prophet, if he was really somebody who was spiritual, he would know what kind of woman this was. Like everybody in town knew her, but Jesus was a stranger. And if he knew what kind of woman he was, he wouldn't let her touch him because, you see, a woman like that would never touch a Pharisee because it would make him spiritually unclean and so he would stay away from her because she was bad news. But if he's letting her touch him, 
then obviously he's not much of a prophet because he doesn't know what's going on. And if Jesus doesn't know what's going on, he's a lousy teacher, and our mission as Pharisees is accomplished, we can discredit him. That's what's going through his head. And Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he tells him the story. 500 denarii versus 50. A denarius was a day's wages. 500 denarii would be the equivalent to two years' wages. Jesus said, two men, both owed money, one ten times as much as the other. Both debts were forgiven. Which one do you think was more appreciative? So Simon says, well, I suppose... You know, kind of acknowledges it. But what does it mean? You see, Jesus said, I came in here. You didn't do anything for me. You did absolutely nothing for me. That shows to me that you disrespect me. It shows to me that you don't accept me. It shows to me that you think I'm, you're better than I am, that you're self-righteous. Somehow or another, you invited me, but by your invite, you insult me. But I came anyway. And now here's this woman, and you wouldn't let her touch you. But think about this. You see, the woman was not forgiven because she loved Jesus. She loved Jesus because she was forgiven. And when this woman came in, she recognized the extent and the seriousness of her sin. She did not seek to minimize it. Whereas the Pharisee, on the other hand, said, I don't need this forgiveness stuff because I'm a Pharisee. I'm good stuff. This woman, she's trash. Me, don't need Jesus. And so here's the point. Romans 3.23 says this. You know it. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that. We understand that. We recognize it. We acknowledge it. Theoretically, we acknowledge that. But within our circles as human beings, we tend to scale sin, right? We tend to scale it. You see, murder is wrong. Immorality is wrong. Those are bad things. Child abuse is wrong. It's a bad thing. And then there's lying and cheating. Yeah, depends on the circumstances, right? And then there's taking extra food from the buffet table to feed somebody else. Well, nah, that's okay. What about conflict resolution? The Bible says if you have a problem with somebody, you're supposed to go to that person and try and resolve that conflict before you talk to anybody else about it. How often do we miss that one? 
What about gossip? Well, that's not so bad. What about ducking the sales tax? Or saving money? Those are all acceptable and excusable sins. But here's, here's the biblical reality. Take a look at this. Wes, if you put Galatians 5, 19-21 up on the screen there. See, the Bible says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Hey, we agree with that. Sexual immorality, oh yeah, bad thing. Impurity and debauchery, certainly those are bad things. Idolatry and witchcraft, whoa, that's bad stuff. That's deserving of hell all the way. But what about hatred? What about discord? That's when people don't get along. That's when you start agitating and getting people to be on your side. So it's our side versus their side. What about discord? Divisiveness among the brothers. What about jealousy? You know, I, 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 you're not supposed to have what you have because I want it. What about fits of rage? Well, that's just my temper. What about selfish ambition? It's all about me. What about dissensions? What about factions and envy? And the rest of those things. You see, we say, well, that's, you know, well, that's just the way he or she is or I am or uh, and then drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Yeah, okay, those, those are pretty bad too. But you know what? The Bible ranks all that at the same level. And you may not be guilty of, of, of sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, but I'll bet you every person here is guilty of some of these other things. There's three fingers pointing back at me, by the way. Okay, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy. There isn't a single person here that can say I'm not guilty of any of that stuff. I don't think. Well, maybe I'm just being wildly optimistic. And the reality, the Bible says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be congratulating yourself and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm morally pure. See, Simon the Pharisee said, that woman's sexual immorality, that's her, bang, bad one. Self-righteousness, jealousy, anger, it's all okay. Here's an interesting story. In the Old Testament, Saul was the first king of Israel. And Saul had been given some orders by Samuel. He said, Saul, or Samuel, had prophet Samuel had said to Saul, listen, I want you to go out, you capture that town, you bring back some of the stuff, bring back some of the animals and wait for me. I'm going to come and, and as a prophet, as a priest, I'm going to sacrifice those animals. And Saul I'm going, to, I'm going to be there. Samuel wasn't coming, and Samuel wasn't coming. And the people were getting restless, and Saul decided, I'm just going to go ahead with this. Who needs Samuel anyway? Anybody can do this. And so he did. And then Samuel came to him and said to Saul this. 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed or to listen is better 
than the fat of rams. You see, the fat was the best part of the sacrifice. It was supposed to go to God. And God says, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. What about conflict resolution? Have you ever talked to somebody else about another person before you went to that person yourself? Rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. You see, you wonder. Saul sacrificed a few animals and God removed him from kingship. And then there's David. David here committed adultery. And to cover it up, he committed murder. Saul lost the kingdom. David kept the kingdom. Doesn't seem fair, does it? But it's like Abe Funk, used to be our, our executive director, has said. Could it be sometimes that God considers the sins of the heart more serious than the sins of the flesh? You see, Simon looked at that woman with loathing and disgust. Simon looked at her with discrimination and self-righteousness. He didn't see himself. Jesus saw her as an object of love and forgiveness, someone who needed love and restoration. Our tendency is to celebrate, to celebrate our forgiveness. And we need to. We can. We should. Our tendency is to celebrate our forgiveness and our status with God and to look at sinners, especially people who should know better, to look at sinners with loathing and disgust. And sometimes you and I are guilty of discrimination and self-righteousness. And here's the reality. If you and I are going to accept and to celebrate forgiveness, then we need to look at ourselves and at others with the eyes of Jesus and to offer forgiveness and restoration. If you're going to take, you have to give. It's not an option. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great day.